Good morning. God's great mercy on us. We all need mercy. I know a guy who needs mercy. His name's Doug Bergeson, 52 years old. Last August, he was uh, working on framing in a fireplace at his house in northeast Wisconsin, and his nail gun accidentally fired, and it shot the nail ricocheting off some wood and into his chest. He said, I thought it just nicked me. I looked down, and I couldn't see anything. I felt okay. I wasn't worried about the injury. I couldn't feel any pressure or blood building up. And then when he went to tug on his sweatshirt, something was sticking there, and he realized that one inch of the three-and-a-half-inch nail was sticking out of his chest. The nail had hit his heart. It was one-sixteenth of, of an inch away from a major artery. He said, I could see the nail moving with my heartbeat. It was just twitching. So he washed up, and he hopped in his truck, and he drove himself to the emergency room 10 minutes away, and when they realized what was going on, when they took the x-rays, uh, they got him into surgery. And two days later, he was home, and uh, while he was recovering there, he said, I feel pretty good. I'm back to doing things carefully. <laughs> and if the physical heart can be healed, if the physical heart can be healed, I believe also the spiritual heart can be healed. And that's what I want to focus on today. How God heals a heart that's been devastated. So we're going to take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 13. But before we do, let's pray and ask God to bless us as we look at his word. Heavenly Father, you know each heart in this room. You know where we've been damaged where we hurt, and you know how to heal us. And so I pray that your spirit would draw more intimately connected with each one of us. Father, those of us who have been hurt, we tend to resist opening our hearts and our minds. But to you this morning, to you it's safe. To you we open up our hearts and our minds, and we ask you to speak truth into our, into our lives, into the deepest part of us. Father, would you bring the healing that you desire to do through the power of the Spirit of Jesus in us? In, it's in his name we pray. Amen. This morning I want to show the way of healing specifically to those who may have been physically or sexually abused. Although I do feel like the way of restoration can really apply to anyone whose heart has been damaged. But in our story today, the heart has been damaged by a violent sexual violation. And I believe that as we explore the violation and the desolation that comes as a result, that we can also explore the restoration that's possible when things like this happen. Violation, desolation, restoration. As ugly as it is, we need to look at the violation first. 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. 
We've got a brother and sister, Absalom and Tamar. And then we have a half-brother. So they all come from the same dad, David. But, but Absalom and Tamar have one mother, and Amnon has a different mother. So they're half-siblings. Absalom and Tamar are full-blooded siblings. Amnon is a, is a half-brother. And it's interesting that they use this word loved. After a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. Like English, Hebrew, the Hebrew word for love can really have different nuances depending on the context. And as we're going to find out in this story, Amnon doesn't really love his half-sister. Not how we want to think of love. It's really more of a carnal lust with a little bit of anger and resentment mixed in. But a strong attraction to her, and he calls it love. But we know that real love sacrifices for the other person. That real love honors the other person, desires their good, encourages them, strengthens them so that they can be fulfilled in whatever role God has established for them. That's, that's what love does. It's the sacrifice of the self for the other. That is not what Amnon has here. But that's what real love is. And it's interesting we know this because in verse 2 it says that he was uh, tormented because he could not do anything to her. Not that he couldn't do anything with her. Not, it wasn't that he couldn't do anything for her. He couldn't do anything to her. That's, dehu that's dehumanizing. To, to think of another person as something that I can do something to, not that I can do something for or do something with. But this is where Amnon was. I think before we go any further, really to understand the nature of what's happening, we need to talk a little bit about the purpose of sex. Why did God make us sexual beings? Because he did that on purpose. And right now in our culture, as we look around, probably the greatest hurt in our culture is, happens because of this field, this area of sexuality. Why did God make us sexual beings? I believe the reason why God made us sexual beings is because he wanted us to experience joyful intimacy with another person. We know that we are physical and we know that we have a spirit, a soul. We are spiritual. And sexuality is really the only thing that we can do that truly unites both of those together in a relationship with another person. Physically and spiritually, we are united together. And the purpose is joyful intimacy. God created us to be sexual beings so that we could experience a deep, Intimacy with another person that brings us joy and brings them joy. Now, the issue with this intimacy is that it requires security. The only way to truly have joyful intimacy is to do it in a relationship that has security. If I'm, if I'm afraid that this person is going to hurt me, it's kind of hard to be joyful, right? You kind of back off. It's really hard to be intimate with somebody 
and to treat them as a close friend or a confidant if you don't know what they're going to do with the information they have about your deepest heart, right? And so joyful intimacy requires security. I know that this person won't hurt me with the information they have about me, with the closeness they have with me, they won't hurt me. And so because God knew that joyful intimacy requires security, he created this idea of covenant, of the marriage covenant. And the marriage covenant creates a relationship that is exclusive and permanent. Exclusivity and permanency creates security which allows for a deep, joyful intimacy. The covenant is, I know that this person will never leave me. And if I can know that, if even when they know me, they won't leave me, that creates security, which is a fertile soil for intimacy. If your marriage relationship is not very intimate, emotionally, psychologically, physically, it's probably because something about permanence or exclusivity is missing. And therefore, there's no security, there's no safety. It would be foolish to give the deepest part of you to someone who might leave or hurt you. So the the lack of exclusivity, the lack of permanence, this is what destroys the security that brings joyful intimacy. That idea of exclusivity, uh, I believe, is reflected in a song that Need to Breathe sang a couple years ago. Need to Breathe is a Christian kind of country rock group. Uh, they're really excellent. And they have a song called A Place Only You Can Go. And here's how part of the song goes. Oh, I know this song won't do enough to prove my love to you. In my heart, you'll always know there is a place only love can go. There is a place only you can go. Take my notions and words to heart. This is the cry of a man. I can't bring you fortune or a noble life, but I'll love you all I can. Oh, I know this song won't do enough to prove my love to you. In my heart, you'll always know there is a place that only you can go. See, that idea of exclusivity, of intimacy. I have a part of me that I'm not going to let anyone see except Laura. Off limits to everybody else. But I want that deep intimacy. It requires exclusivity. And it requires permanence. This is God's intention, and this is why all sexual activity outside of the exclusive marital covenant damages people. Whether it's extramarital or premarital, all sexual activity 
outside of that protective, exclusive marital covenant damages us, damages the people who participate, damages the people who are related to the people who participate. All sexual activity outside of the marital covenant is ungodly. God did not make these rules because he wanted to stifle our fun, but because he wanted us to experience a joyful intimacy. This is why he gave us a heart. This is why he gave us a soul, so that we could be intimate with him, and if he so chooses, with another person. This is what the world has really, really messed up. And that's why they don't experience joy or intimacy. Because they've taken the sexual activity outside of that marital covenant. Amnon should have redirected his heart. That's what the book of Proverbs trains us how to do and teaches us to do. Redirect your heart. His heart was going to a place it should not. But instead of redirecting his heart, he listens to a friend who's going to encourage him to to manipulate a situation so that he can get Tamar, his half-sister, alone in his room. And so he pretends to be ill, and he calls for some food, and he asks Tamar to bring it to him, and he gets everyone else outside of his room. Verse 11 2 Samuel 13, verse 11. But when she, Tamar, brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and he said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me. For such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you should be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you, but he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. And then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and go. And I think this brings us to second element of the violation. Not only do we need to understand the purpose of sex, but we need to understand the purpose of power. You see, Amnon was physically stronger than her. Being stronger than her, he violated her. Why does God make some people stronger than other people? Doesn't seem very fair. I mean, look what happens when some people are stronger than other people. What's the purpose of strength? What's the purpose of power? Always to serve and protect people with less power, with less strength. So if you have any kind of power, if you have political power, if you have social power, if you have economic power, if you've got psychological power over someone, If you have any kind of power, then the purpose is to serve and protect those who don't have as much power as you do. Being stronger than her, he always protected her. That's how it should have read. 
being stronger than her, he violated her. And so this rape of Tamar dehumanizes her. Doesn't take into account her inner spirit and her inner person, that she is a human being. Doesn't take into account all the other social relationships that she has as a person or her relationship with God. It merely sees her as something to overpower. David had power over Bathsheba. He was the king. Who's going to deny the king what he decrees to be? And now the sin of the father has fallen on the sons. And Amnon uses his physical power to get what he wants. This is an abuse of power. It is a perversion of God's purposes for sex. And it leaves Tamar desolated. Desolation. Desolation is a place where there's no fellowship and no nourishment. It's like someone drops you out of an airplane into a desert and there's no one else there. Desolation comes from isolation, comes from the lack of nourishment. And that's the personal response of Tamar, verse 16. She said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him, and he said, Put this woman out of my presence, and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. And so his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and she went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. And so Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house, desolation. I believe there's two contributing factors to her feeling of desolation. Two contributing factors. The first one is the humiliation of the violation. The first factor in feeling desolate and feeling isolated, rejected, and left alone, feeling hopeless and helpless, the first element is humiliation. Look back at verse 12. My brother, do not violate me. Where could I carry my shame? What you have done to me has weighted me down, not with a physical weight, but a spiritual, and emotional, a psychological weight. And I have no person to give this weight to. I have to carry it. Where can I go with this shame? You, you, you don't take me, and now I'm untakeable. In that culture, no one's going to marry me. You won't marry me. No one else is going to marry me. Where am I going to lay down this great weight, this shame that you have put on me? There is no one and no place to go with it. I just am left carrying it. She feels less than human. 
in today's culture, when this kind of thing happens, when this kind of violation happens, we, we see cutting, self-hurting, pills, alcohol, social withdrawal, feelings that I can't be loved, I can't be healed, desolation. And in all of these activities, as a result of the desolation, we actually begin to become set up for further violations. We begin to believe a lie. No one around me loves me to protect, enough to protect me. They only want to use me. I am less than human. Nobody cares what happens next. And it can become a very self-destructive mental state that opens us up for further violation. Oh, Amnon, what are you doing? There's the humiliation, but there's a second element to this desolation, and that is the lack of justice. The lack of justice increases the desolation. Almost nobody can avoid being violated in some way. Someone is going to hurt me. Someone is going to work against me. But when there's no justice, when there's no, uh, no recourse, that's what brings desolation. When no one in authority, no one with power seeks to protect, when they don't relentlessly pursue justice, then we leave people desolate. Oh, this is, this is something that the church needs to do a better job of. Amnon tells Tamar, he says, hold your peace. Don't take this to heart. How can you not take this to heart? You know, it's over, it's in the past. What, pretend it didn't happen? Pretend it wasn't that big of a deal? Is that how we take care of it? Is that what brings someone out of desolation? Two years later, two years later, Absalom kills Amnon. The full brother kills the half-brother and then goes into exile. Because the king, he just killed the king's son, and even though he's the king's son, he killed another one of the king's son, he goes off into exile. And we don't hear anything else about Tamar. We don't know if she found restoration or not. We don't know. But this is what I want you to know today. There is restoration possible. And I don't know if you're feeling desolate today. And that desolation may be because of some violation against you. It may be because of some other circumstance. And I believe that the restoration will be the same for anybody, regardless of how they got to the place of desolation. So I think this applies to everybody. Restoration is possible. You see, our heart was built by God to enjoy intimacy. He made us to enjoy relationship deeply and joyfully with him and with other people. And when that part of us gets damaged, how do we restore it? Now this is gonna seem a little counterintuitive. It's going to be a little bit difficult because the restoration 
is going to mean is going to mean intimacy with Jesus. You see, when we get violated, when our intimacy gets violated in whatever way, we don't want to get intimate with anyone else. But the restoration, the cure, is going to be letting Jesus be intimate with you. Jesus is not a rapist. Jesus has all power. And if the cross teaches us anything, it teaches us that the power of God is working on our behalf. That he wants to serve you. He wants to protect you. And we can trust him and be intimate with him. Our memory verse for this month, we're picking up a memory verse again for this month. Psalm 34, 18. David wrote this in a song, and he's, why don't we say it together? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. Look at that word near. It's a geographical word, but it has a non-geographical meaning. It has a spiritual meaning. It has a, an emotional meaning. It means that, not that Jesus is just next to you, but that he is emotionally with you. Jesus wants to be in you through his spirit. The Lord is near. To those who have been desolated by the actions of others, the Lord is near. To those whose inner person has been damaged and it's broken and intimacy doesn't seem to ever be possible ever again, the Lord is intimate. The Lord is near. And he's going to save our crushed spirits. Bring life where we thought life wasn't possible anymore. And nowhere is this intimacy with God better displayed than in the Lord's Supper. And we're going to partake of that in a couple of minutes. I want to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 26, if you've got your Bibles, you can flip there or turn there. And I want to look at the words that Jesus used as he was sharing that last supper with his disciples. And I'm going to apply it in a way that I've never applied it before. I'm going to apply it to the hearts who have been made desolate by abuse. And we're going to see that intimacy with Christ can heal a desolate heart. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. Two elements, two invitations that Jesus gives us. First, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Take Jesus. Receive him. Just like you receive food, Jesus longs to give you spiritual nourishment. He wants to remain. He wants to become part of you. He wants to transform and strengthen your heart that's been wounded so many times. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of salvation. Jesus lived and he loved and he died, and he rose again. 
and he has a transformed body that he promises to us. And he says, while you're waiting for that transformed body, I want to do a transforming work in your heart. And I can do that. And the transformation will always be good, that transformation that Jesus brings. We need to confess our sin. We need to confess our need for Jesus. We need to cry out for mercy. This Lord's Supper, it doesn't create intimacy with God. That happens when we turn our hearts to him, when we receive him. There's nothing magical about the elements, nothing magical about that cardboard-tasting piece of bread. There's nothing mystical about the grape juice, which is a symbol for wine, which is a symbol for blood. There's nothing mystical about it. But something spiritual can happen when you take the Lord's Supper. Let's talk about this second thing real quick. Not only should we take Jesus, but he says, accept the covenant. In verse 27, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Remember we said, remember we said, that joyful intimacy requires security and that it's a covenant relationship that brings the security, right? The, the permanence of that relationship. And Jesus is saying when you partake of this cup, it is a picture of the blood that I spilled to create security for our relationship. It's not enough that you go to heaven it's not enough for Jesus that you go to heaven. What he wants is an intimate walk with you right now today. That's what he longs for right now. He longs for us who have been made desolate to take the act of faith and open up our hearts and receive the covenant and to take Jesus and to experience the joyful intimacy that he offers to us today. We don't have to wait now, there's a fullness of it coming. He says, now, I'm not going to drink of this again until, <clears throat> excuse me, until my kingdom comes. There's going to be a time, brothers and sisters, there's going to be a time when a righteous king rules and no one violates anyone else again. No one breaks a promise. No one shares something that they shouldn't have shared. No one ever is violated again and the righteous king rules and we don't ever have to be afraid. Our hearts can stay wide open our whole rest of our existence, which will be forever. That's the kingdom of God. Joyful intimacy with him and one another because it's finally and completely safe. You know, that covenant, that the blood sealed the covenant and it also washes us and forgives us of our sins. I'm gonna break the covenant with Jesus. As much as I don't want to, as much as I want to be faithful to him perfectly, I won't be. Not in this life. But he will always be faithful. And that's where the security comes from. When I fail, he never does. And the covenant stands. Because the covenant isn't based on my faithfulness. It's based on the blood of Christ. And so I'm safe to tell Jesus when I fail, to go to him, his kindness leads me to repentance. 
So when I know that he receives me, then I turn from my sin and I admit it and I confess it and I experience this intimacy that he made me for. This is the promise. This is the promise of an eternal relationship. And we celebrate that this morning. This morning, allow the Lord's Supper to be more than just a monthly ritual. Allow the Lord's Supper to be more than just a symbol. When you take that bread, you pray and you tell Jesus, Jesus, I take you. I open up the deepest part of me and I ask you in. He's already promised that he will. You don't have to doubt whether you're good enough for him. In repentance and faith, I take you as I take this bread. And then when we take the cup, you take it and you pray. You say, Lord, I drink this cup because you have made a covenant with me. And I celebrate the covenant because I know it's going to bring in partially right now even some intimacy with you. And I look forward. He says, do this in remembrance of me until I return. I drink of that cup and say, Lord, I'm looking forward to the complete, deep, joyful intimacy with you that your sacrifice has made a way for. And so I pray that this Lord's Supper will be an act of faith declaring your belief that Jesus can heal. That this is an act of faith asking him to become intimate with you and to heal you. I'm going to invite Tom Schultz, one of our deacons, to pray and thank the Lord for our Lord's Supper. It is by faith, Lord, that we drink this cup. It's a symbol of the covenant that you have made in your blood for the forgiveness of our sins and to open up the door to intimacy with you. I pray and we pray that that would be a reality in the deepest part of our hearts. And so we drink. Amen. I'd like to remind you that because it's a uh, communion Sunday, that there will be a retiring offering as you leave uh, the sanctuary today. If you are so inclined, we take up an offering. It goes to our deacon fund, which is used to uh, take care of physical needs, uh, financial needs of people in our congregation. And so we encourage you to participate. Kids, so join us there. We're looking forward to Please stand for your benediction this morning. And now may the God who intimately made you and understands you, may he heal you and grow you and transform you with his loving, self-sacrificing power for your eternal blessedness and his eternal glory. Amen and amen. God bless you.